Welcome to this week's module on infectious disease workup. This is the first part of a two-part series that will go over the various studies that you will look for when working someone up for a septic workup, or if you are concerned of an infectious disease may be present. So let's go right into the module. First, let's talk about the objectives. We want to identify the diagnostic studies that we're going to use for the septic workup, and we want to understand what the results mean. So we'll talk about the interpretation and analysis of those results. And then we'll talk about the differences in age groups. So right here on your screen, plain as day, is the basics for an infectious workup. Now, depending on how your patient presents, you may want to add additional studies, but for the most part, you're going to add these studies to your, to your repertoire of identifying um, an infectious process. So any patient that comes in with a fever or there's concern for infection without a fever, this is where you would start. So let's start off by the most basic test that we'll run is the complete blood cell count or your CBC. Um, the CBC will look at major factors or major elements of the CBC, such as your white blood cell count, your hemoglobin, hematocrit, and platelets. The red blood cells are important, but we don't focus on them as much as the hemoglobin and hematocrit because that's your oxygen carrying capacity. So if you have an anemia, that's a concern, uh, especially if you have someone with sepsis because they have difficulty um, perfusing those tissues because of the decreased oxygen carrying capacity. And your platelets are important because you can see a drop in platelets with certain types of infections. So we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. So for, for the most part, you will see a drop in platelets with someone who has a severe gram-negative uh, sepsis or someone with a fungal sepsis as well. So those are important when you're looking at platelet counts there. Um, <clears throat> you also wanna look at the differential, and I'll go into this in more detail in the next uh, few slides, but the, diff the differential is gonna give you uh, the percentage of neutrophils, basophils, eosinophils, and lymphocytes. So white blood cell count, um, it's measured um, 10 to the third power. So depending on how your lab is uh, set up, 5,000 to 10,000 times 10 to the third power. Uh, and this gives you an average of what your normal uh, white blood cell count should look like. Now, your neonates typically are a little bit higher. They can be as high as 12 to 14,000, and that's still within their normal range. Um, but for the most part, you're looking between a five and 10,000 uh, for the white blood cell count. Uh, moderate to, to moderate, mild to moderate increase is most, most likely a bacterial infection. And sometimes overwhelming infections can be slightly higher, right? So if you saw a white count of 20,000 or 30,000 or even 35,000, that could be a very serious bacterial sep septic, uh, sepsis that, you have, that you're working with. And you will monitor your uh, CBCs uh, regularly throughout the course of therapy to make sure that the, the medications and antibiotics that you're giving are effective and are helping reduce the amount of white cells that are actually being um, released to fight the infection. Now, if you have a significant, like really high, um, you might want to start considering working them up for other disorders. Now, they could have a severe systemic disease, or in some cases, it could be the tall tale sign that they may have some type of childhood cancer, such as leukemia. And we're talking white blood cell counts in the 60s, 70s, 100,000s, or even higher um, <clears throat> for those ranges. Now, when you have white, increased white cell counts, 
you're going to have bacterial infections. And we think about uh, viral infections when we have lower white cell counts. So if the white cell count drops below 1500 on a, on a normal healthy child, or if it's somewhere between the 3000 to 5000 range, there, there, there should be more of a workup for a viral infection or viral process. But they could also have congenital neutropenia, malnutrition, hypothyroidism. And for our patients receiving chemotherapy, one of the consequences of chemo is a drop in all your cell count lines. So you can have someone that is, is actively being treated for chemotherapy. And if they look like they're septic or in developing a, an infectious process, we have to be even more careful um, to make sure that we treat them with powerful antibiotics to prevent the infection because they don't have enough of their own response to fight off the infection by themselves. You'll also look at, um, when we look at the differential, we're gonna look at the amount of neutrophils. Sometimes they're identified as segmented neutrophils or SEGs and bands. Bands are your immature white cells that are actually being released because the, the, the body's sensing that there's an infection or an inflammatory process and it has to release a ton of white blood cells to try to fight that um, response. So when we talk about a shift of the left, back in the day when they used to print out our CVCs on paper, uh, <clears throat> the, the, all the cell lines were in the middle and as your, your, um, your segs would increase, they would shift to the right and your bands, which were normally not there, would start showing up on the left. So you'd see the shift to the left. Nowadays, we just identify if there's a bandemia or not on the CVC. Your differential, <clears throat> um, we look at the granular leukocytes and the non-granular leukocytes. They're right here on the screen. Your, your granular are your neutrophils, basophils, and eosinophils. Your non-granular, your lymphocytes and monocytes. Um, I took this right from your textbook, this, uh, the Wallach's um, Diagnostic Interpretation, and this gives you the uh, normal ranges for um, your, your white cell, your new, for all the, it's your normal values for your white blood cell counts, looking at the differential, the different types of white blood cells. So let's take a quick dive into this, your neutrophilic leukocytosis, that means an increase in white count, increase in neutrophils, your segs and your bands, um, causes bacterial infection, inflammatory disorders, tumors, or um, it could be from stress. Uh, so just because you have an increase in white blood cell count doesn't immediately mean that you have an infection, but it definitely means you have some type of inflammatory process. Um, <clears throat> so you can, you know, if someone who has an overwhelming like Sears response, which is a systemic inflammatory response syndrome, they can have a, a, an increase in white cell count without growing any type of bacteria from other cultures and things like that. Um, so we do have to pay attention to those. Our basophils, our basophilic leukocytosis, again, you're going to have an increase in your basophils, increase in your white blood cell counts. This is pretty rare, um, but we do sometimes see this with polycythemia. That's when you have an increase of red and white cells in the blood. Uh, myeloproliferative disease is another cause as well. Our eosinophilic leukocytosis, again, you're going to have an increase in eosinophils, increase in white blood cells. Um, and we usually see this in patients that are having some type of allergic reaction. So um, your eosinophils are released when there's some type of histamine response due to an allergic uh, reaction. And then you'll see this um, increase as well. We can also see it with parasitic disease and lymphomas. Our lymphocyte leukocytosis, you have an increase in lymphocytes, a decrease in white blood cells. Um, <clears throat> this kind of tells you the total number of circulating lymphocytes. Um, that are in the body, but it could also indicate that there's some type of uh, chronic uh, lymphocytic leukemia.
Now, when we look at leukopenias, again, this is a drop in white blood cell counts. If you have a drop from your drop in your lymphocytes, here you can have um, a lymphocytosis, and you'd have to look for the underlying cause. But it could be common with your viral infections as well. So, when you have this type of presentation, you want to look to see if there's other causes that could be causing um, the drop in the lymphocytes. When we look at neutropenia. Um, drop in our neutrophils. Uh, this is usually accompanied, accompanied with a drop in white blood cells. And for those of you that are working in Hemonc or plan to work in Hemonc, you'll hear this term quite frequently, which is your absolute neutrophil count. And we want to see when we're giving chemotherapy, um, <clears throat> this number will actually guide how deep they go into the chemotherapy and then watching the patient's response in their bone marrow after chemotherapy to watch to see if they're increasing their white blood cell counts. So to calculate your ANC, your ANC, you take the percentage of your SEGs plus the percentage of your bands, and you multiply that times the white blood cell count and multiply that times 10, and that'll give you your number here for your, your absolute neutrophil count. Now those, the patients, when we're worried about sepsis in a, in a chemo patient or someone who's recently gone through chemo or is undergoing chemo, we do want to be concerned as to where their body response is. So if their absolute neutrophil count is less than 500, they're at the highest risk. That means they don't have enough white blood cells to fight off most infections. 500 to 1,000 is a little bit better, but they're still at risk for those infections or they're still at risk for not being able to overcome um, whatever infections they may have obtained. Um, it's a lower risk above 1,000, and it's considered to be around the normal range or uh, better if they're above 1,500 um, for their absolute neutrophil counts. Now, if you work at some centers, I know here at UF at the Shands, uh, Shands Children's Hospital, they um, when we do a CBC and we ask for a diff, they automatically calculate an absolute neutrophil count for us. Um, but you may work in some centers that do not, so that's why this formula is important. And again, as I mentioned previously, if you have a thrombocytopenia, you want to look to see if this is a gram-negative sepsis or fungemia. Sometimes you get the results of your cultures first, and then you can determine where this thrombocytopenia is coming from. If there is hemolysis with some infection, such as hemolytic uremic syndrome, you may have a significant drop in your H and H. Um, <clears throat> now let's move on to the um, ESR, your erythrocyte sedimentation rate. Now back 20, 30 years ago, we used to follow this number quite a bit. It used to be an indicator of an inflammatory response, but over time we've realized that this is more, has more of a low sensitivity um, and it's not as, as accurate as we would like it to be to help us with um, identifying inflammation or infection. So it has a pretty low yield. Many places, and myself included, I don't include an ESR in my workup for sepsis. Um, I will include it in other workups, uh, depending on um, the current criteria. Again, it has a very low yield and very low utility. It may be something to monitor if you're trying to correct inflammation or if you're following up, but oftentimes this is not something that we will include in the sepsis. It is here because it is one of the inflammatory markers, but again, low yield, low utility. The one you'll probably see the most is your CRP and your procalcitonin. I'll talk about procalcitonin next. But your C-reactive protein is a cytokine-induced acute phase reactant protein. Um, and CRP has many utilities. We use it for patients that are malnourished. 
um, as well as patients that, are, that were concerned about infection. And it allows us to assess if, if there's an, a sharp acute increase, is there uh, infection, is there tissue injury, or is there inflammation? Now, when we look at <clears throat> this, you will, once you, you if someone is uh, acutely uh, septic and you are starting to assess their CRP, you may notice that it'll start to increase over time before it comes down. So someone that has an infection, um, typically their CRP can be anywhere from a hundred, a little over a hundred to in the thousands or ten thousands. We see it even higher in our cardiac patients because as you can see at the bottom of this slide, we talk about high sensitivity CRP, which this is an independent risk factor for patients that have cardiovascular disease who've had a stroke or peripheral vascular disease. And those, those patients, you can see their, their, their CRPs go into the 10,000s, and I've seen them as high as 100,000 before, especially with someone with acute cardiac insult or injury to the heart. Um, so that just that's one way to keep these different. Uh, but your CRP is going to help you um, with looking at <clears throat> an inflammatory response or if there's an acute infection, especially if you coincide this with your C CBC and your procalcitonin. Your procalcitonin is a protein that can act as a hormone and a, and a cytokine. It increases with inflammation stimuli, um, and, it, and it mainly tells us about bacterial infection. So what we've come to realize that this test is more sensitive to patients that have bacterial infections, as well as possibly when we're looking at viral infections, because they won't mount as much of a response with the, the procalcitonin. So a, a negative or normal procalcitonin should be less than 0.1 micrograms per liter. If you're less than uh, uh, 50 micrograms per liter, it's likely not an infectious process, maybe more inflammatory. So when you're thinking about starting someone on antibiotics, if my procalcitonin was less than 0.5, I probably wouldn't start anything unless there was a concern for immunocompromised patient. From 0.5 to 1, again, there, there could be concern for bacterial infection, or this may be at the beginning stages of the infection, and you're just starting to see it increase. So in these patients, I probably would start antibiotics on. And again, if they're greater than 1 mic per liter, definitely should start them on antibiotics. And if they're greater than two, the, the chances of you having, the chances of the patient having a bacterial infection are very high and most likely they are septic. And if you're seeing procalcitonins in the three, four, five, 16, 20 range, um, then you're worried about sepsis or septic shock in these patients. Now let's move on to our cultures. Um, there are many different types of cultures. Um, you also have another video for this um, module that talks about uh, the what what the culture results mean and when we look at MIC or minimum inhibitory concentration that kind of helps us narrow down not just what type of organism we're going to look at but also it narrows it down to what antibiotics are most effective in treating that particular species of that animal that um that are positive on that culture um, we, we should send our blood, uh, urine, and blood. You could send a ton of different types of cultures. That's why I included them all together. Blood, urine, body fluids, tissues, CSF, and the list can go on a little further. Um, <clears throat> but what basically we're going to do is we're going to take that sample. It's going to go into an incubator or a heater, um, and we're going to allow those organisms to grow over 48 hours to kind of see what, what, what's, what's, in, what's in those samples. 
Um, if you have someone with a, a pretty overwhelming infection, you're going to get your results back six to 12 hours after it's been sent down to the lab. And essentially what happens is the lab techs put these bottles or the cultures into a, a computerized incubator. And then the machine actually detects that there's organisms growing. It sends off an alert and then the tech will go in and further identify the species of that um, organism. And initially you'll get a report that's on the classification of the bacteria. So you'll get a gram positive, gram negative, um, anaerobic, you know, aerobic, that kind of stuff. You won't really get the species itself. But then um, after a few hours or even the next day, you may get the actual speciation of that organism. So you know more of what you're dealing with. So if you need to adjust your antibiotics, you can do so. But if you wanna narrow down your, your antibiotic therapy, you definitely want to look at the MIC. And again, I'm not going to go into too great a detail because I think Dr. Roller does a fantastic job of going over how to read these reports. And he gives you some sample reports to look at when you're making a decision to um, use your antibiotics. Lastly, we're going to talk about lumbar puncture. Lumbar puncture is, is important, um, especially for those in the acute care setting. Um, what we want to do is we want to be able to obtain CSF fluid um, and then send that to the lab to evaluate the cells that are in the, C, the, in the CSF to see if there's any bacteria. And we can also look at other factors. Um, and we can use the, this sample, especially if we're looking at an infectious disease process for other types of causes of infections, whether that's viral or bacterial. Um, you'll find sometimes when we do these uh, uh, lumbar punctures, people will talk about an opening pressure. Um, Back in the day, we used to use these tall glass pipettes and some of our kids still have them in there. And when you first get your LP, you put the needle into the, to the space that it needs to be in, you hook up the manometer to it and you should see the CSF rise and then it will settle at a certain amount. Uh, nowadays, especially here at UF, I don't know if all centers have this, we have one that's an electronic one and it's like a little digiter manometer and you basically clamp it onto your stopcock with your... Um, your needle and it gives you a pressure number reading right off the bat. And then what we'll do is we usually get four tubes. Um, the first one will be sent off for cultures. The second one will send off for cell counts. And the cells that we're, or what we're looking for in the cell count is the glucose, the protein, any white blood cells, red blood cells, and your culture you're looking at, um, any bacteria that may be in there so you can rule in or rule out uh, meningitis, bacterial meningitis, and then we can send off the others for other studies, such as viral studies, or if we're looking at specific diseases or concerned about specific diseases, we can send off PCR testing for them. Normally, your glucose under normal conditions, not infectious, your glucose in your CSF should roughly be about the glucose that's in your serum. So it is important to have a, a BMP or a CMP or even a point of care sugar to see if you have a low glucose or you know, is it around where your patient normally is resting. If you see a low glucose and a high protein, that means there's probably a bacterial process there. And the way I remember this, this is how I was taught. If you look at your bacteria as, as Pac-Man, like the video game Pac-Man, Pac-Man is gonna eat up all the glucose. Those are the little dots on the screen when you're playing Pac-Man, but it's gonna poop out protein. So basically the bacteria will use glucose for energy and part of that 
energy process, they release protein. So you'll have a higher protein count, lower glucose, and then you may or may not be able to capture bacteria on your samples, um, as well as looking at viral processes. So I may send off the third or fourth tube um, to do a, a, a viral panel or viral PCRs to see if there's other viral processes there. All right, well, this concludes this week's module. Um, I will make this, this particular recording available on the podcast. Um, so you're able to listen to these either on your way to work or while you're at the gym or if you're at a, on a long walk or something, you just want to listen to a, uh, the lecture, it's available to you. And you'll notice that some of the other lectures are available to you there as well. Please let me know if you like the podcast. If you don't, let me know as well. I can make some modifications so that you know, it keeps you guys you know, engaged and make, it, make the learning uh, available to you uh, more than just watching the video. All right, you guys have a good, good week and I'll talk to you soon.